Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and today I'm talking with Brendan Bay, technology analyst at ID TechX, about metamaterials potential in millimeter wave 5G telecommunications and beyond, which is a research report that Brendan recently published. Welcome, Brendan. Hi, Pat. Thanks for having me on. So you noted in the uh, report that there was significant emergence of the application of electromagnetic metamaterials in supporting the deployment of high-frequency telecommunications, such as 5G millimeter wave and even terahertz applications. With this development, you also mentioned the reconfigurable intelligent systems. Can you tell us about how these services work and how they would aid in the deployment of high-frequency applications? Certainly. So... Essentially, the first thing we want to know about a reconfigurable intelligence surface is that it essentially incorporates what's what's called a metasurface. This is an artificially engineered um, material. And the idea here is that if we incorporate, say, electronic components, we can control the direction an incoming beam is uh, reflected. So imagine I have a mirror where I can control what direction the light is reflected. That's essentially what the RIS does with these uh, telecommunication signals. A metamaterial is a man-made structure. And what makes it special is that its characteristics aren't because it's made of some um, secret magic material. The chemical properties are not the what, not what makes a metamaterial special. It's You can actually make a metamaterial out of relatively common materials like copper or gold. Uh, what makes it special is that the patterning of a metamaterial is such that you can get very unique effects that you won't really get anywhere else. So the reason you need a metamaterial is because you can, if you pattern it right, you can use it to bounce signals off in very uh, unique and otherwise difficult to achieve ways. So you can, if you imagine a mirror, you can bounce a signal off, say, back to where it came from. That's po- potentially possible, I would say. And what we can do is we can actually uh, stick in a bunch of electronic components and actually enhance this capability even further. So if we choose to, say, activate certain parts of the pattern, I'm, I'm simplifying this quite a bit, so some of the uh, more science-minded people out there might, they might, they, they might disagree, but this is me simplifying the, the, the method a bit more. Um, essentially, if we switch off, switch off uh, air quotes, part, uh, so to speak, parts of the pattern, we can uh, control the direction the signal is bounced off in. So I think Pivotal.comware actually did have a, did uh, talk about this before. So the way they describe their system is if you imagine a leaky antenna cavity, you open certain slots in a box and you can have signals coming out where you want. That's essentially what they do, how they control their uh, beam steering, so to speak. And why this is important is that when you can actively control how the beam is bounced off, you can take it a step further and you can say, let's somehow track our user when they're in the environment and we can send the signal directly to them. So what this actually does is you get a stronger signal at the end user, you, which means better signal quality, um, faster internet, which I'm sure a, a lot of us want. What's also interesting is that you actually increase the security of your network. So today what we have is we have some central, say a modem that just broadcasts Wi-Fi across a public area and you hop onto it with a password and you hope that uh, nobody is looking over your shoulder when you put in the password, for example. With RIS, what you actually have is, because the signal comes directly to you, there's no eavesdroppers. The eavesdroppers don't get any of the telecommunication signal energy, so to speak. So they can't really hop on in any case because they don't get the signal. So the issue we have with 5G today is that it's a really short-range signal. 
because it's very high frequency. You need it to be high frequency because you want to pack in a lot of data. But that also means that the physics becomes a problem and it can't really travel that far in air. It's also it's made even worse in cities because if you imagine there's a building away or there's a tree in a way between your signal and your signal source and your receiver, which is your end user essentially, your signal strength is essentially non-existent by the time it gets to your uh, to your user. So what we need is we need some form of easily integrable reflective surface that can steer signals around these obstacles to the end user without being very cumbersome, with being easy to install, and ideally integratable with the existing environment. And that's essentially what these reconfigurable intelligence surfaces are promising. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what challenges these surfaces overcome that are currently facing the industry? You kind of mentioned uh, blockage and you know yeah. city, urban areas where there's a lot of buildings and trees. Yeah, so that's quite a few actually. So it's not like we can't steer signals today because we can. There are, there are these relation stations that you know they take a signal, they send out another one that, uh, in a different direction. What the problem here is that if you want to have sufficient coverage in a city, you would have to have a lot of relay stations, and these aren't really small. They are expensive to install. They are expensive to run because they take a lot of power. And even with a large amount of these um, relay stations, there are some parts of a city that you might not be able to get to. So what, what challenges RIS overcomes is essentially that it offers a way to have a very discrete, a very small unit that can act as a I'll say a more simplified relay station that gets the job done while using a lot less power. So you are reducing the cost of installation, you're reducing the cost of operation, and you're making it easy to set up the necessary infrastructure. And so what are the main advantages of these over the relays? Is it just the cost and um, size? That's a good question. So I would say it's a, um, several things. As you mentioned, cost and size, definitely one of the big advantages. The fact that they use a lot less power is also a very big advantage. If you imagine a RIS and you stick it on the bottom of, say, a stadium roof, that's something you can't do with a relay, as you might imagine, because, well, you can't really put a, a relay anywhere in a stadium, but you can put an RIS like, below a stadium a roof. So that gives you better coverage. But if you want to have your RIS in places where it's uh, in sort of not really easily accessible places, you don't really want to have to figure out how to power them that much. You 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 have if you imagine having to stick a relay uh, on the other side of a station uh, of a stadium, then you have to figure out how to run the power lines, and it gets very complicated if you have a lot of power, a uh, very high power consumption. What RIS does is it's actually a very low power device because actual signal direction switching is a very low power process because you're just essentially it's close to uh, flipping switches on and off. It's not like you are taking in a signal and then rebroadcasting it. It's more like you're bouncing it off. So it's a very low power mechanism. It reduces the power consumption, which makes it easier, well, easier to, to install. And what's also important is that you reduce your operational cost because you're reducing energy usage. And as we all know, energy prices today aren't exactly cheap. And so you looked at the market for these. You know, What type of growth rate do you expect for the market over the next decade? So I think in this application, I would say somewhere between 30 to 40%, although it's 30 to 40% Hager within our forecast period. Great. That's quite a bit of growth, but it is at a low level now. So I guess it has a ways to go. Yes. 
So yes, I think it's worth noting that our forecast period for this is quite long. It's for 20 years, if I recall correctly. And can you give us some um, information about how these are made and would they meet the cost goals of 5G millimeter yeah. wave? So that's a great question, actually, because how the, these are made are actually, is actually one of the well, one of the more impressive things as well. So when you talk about metamaterials, the construction method tends to be a sticking point because your features have to be very uniform and they can need to be very small. So forming metamaterials can be challenging. What, uh, RIS, what makes RIS special in terms of manufacturing is that they're actually compatible with semiconductor processes today. So um, the RIS companies I have spoken to, they, they have mentioned using off-the-shelf electronics. Why this is important is that we have a, already we already have a scalable method of manufacturing these, which means your manufacturing costs can be lowered. Whether or not they can meet cost goals, this is a bit more of a difficult question to answer because uh, companies that manufacture RIS tend to be a bit more cagey about their prices. I so I can't say for certain. I think there is potential, but I wouldn't make any promises there. Yeah, they don't want to give away any of their trade secrets. Yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, one company even uses like PCB manufacturing processes, that, so that potentially could be low cost. Exactly. So PCB manufacturing tends to be one of the main ways you make RIS. So can and, you give us some examples of companies that are making these surfaces and maybe some use cases that they're working on now? Sure. So that's Pivotal Comware. They've been working on RS for a few years, if I recall correctly. They are right now. I think they are working with Verizon and trialing out RS across. I I believe it was quite a large area, uh, on the order of kilometers. So they are trialing out RS in an urban setting for um high frequency five G essentially. Meta materials is quite a big one as well. So what meta materials have actually made is what I would label as a passive RIS. Some people might disagree with my terminology, but essentially metamaterials have a transparent conductive film that you can stick on a window and it bounces uh, telecommunication signals off. So instead of actively steering it, you have um, this, uh, I would call it a 5G mirror, if, if so to speak. It takes in a 5G signal, bounces it off around, around a building, around an obstacle to an end user. So these have been developed uh, I think they are working with Sekisui to trial, um, trial this out as well. So Sekisui provides the glass. And there's also Greenwave, which I spoke to. Uh, Greenwave is working on something that's similar to another company that's, that's called MetaWave. Essentially, they have these um, modules that track the user autonomously around the environment. So imagine uh, RIS unit stuck somewhere as you are on your phone. It uh, follows you around and sends, your, sends the 5G signal directly to you. Uh, so what Greenwave have right now is they don't actually have, I don't believe they have an RIS product out yet, but they are developing the technology. They are, they are working on a autonomous RF, RFID tracking system in warehouses, if I, if I recall correctly. And the technology that is similar to what we would need for RIS. Yeah, so we, we had an article from them and it kind of talked about their technology and you're right, they were just developing it. So very interesting uh, development in this area. So what are the first applications you think will be deployed and in what time frame? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, so I think one thing to keep in mind is that 5G has been around for a while, but it's not like we have 5G in even major cities. So I'm based in London, but when I go out, I'm not using 5G, I'm still using 4G. And this is this is a major city. So 
it's easy for us to get excited and we can say, oh, now that we have RS um, 5G coming uh, immediately. Uh, that's not really the case. Um, it's, I still think it's going to take a while. I'd say, I'd say maybe around five years before we even start to see um, RIS for 5G. In, in terms of what applications, I think, well, probably we'll see high population, high traffic areas being targeted first. So I, I'm talking about stadiums, I'm talking about train stations. These are areas where you go in, you can't really get that good signal because there's so many people. So these make sense for RIS, these make sense for 5G, and there's a demand here. If we are talking about, say, are you going to find RIS in your general, say, stuck on top of traffic light in the city or stuck near a building on a sidewalk, probably that'll take a, a quite a while longer. Yeah, it seems like a technology for the second half of 5G and part of 6G. Yes, yes. Uh, with 6G, the problems that we've been talking about, it gets even worse because higher frequency, shorter range. Yeah, if they and, start using yeah. sub terahertz signals, they definitely will probably need this technology. Definitely, it it gets it gets really difficult to get any sort of range when you go to such high frequencies. Well, great, thank you, Brendan, so much for talking with me today about the potential for metamaterials and high frequency market and the market for reconfigurable intelligence systems. We hope to have you back in the future for an update on this technology as it emerges. To our audience, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microwavejournal.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye.